pray, Father, as we, we come to your word now, we just invite you again, Holy Spirit, just to speak to us. Father, use my words for your glory. Lord, that our, that our hearts would truly be transformed into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been talking about prayer um, and we want to just, we're coming near the end of this little little mini series, I guess, but um, last week we spoke about Elijah being persistent in prayer, but there's another key aspect to the way in which Elijah prayed. He was also earnest in prayer or fervent in prayer. The literal Greek actually reads, he prayed as in his prayers. Strange thing to say in many ways, but he prayed in his prayers. This is not just some sort of lazy religious words coming out of his mouth. His heart was engaged, his motions were involved, and he was connected with the Spirit and with the will of God. And there should be an equal determination and, and concern in the way in which you pray. It should come from our hearts. From the depths of our hearts when we come before God. So the question I want to ask today is this. How much do your feelings matter when you pray? Now it's maybe a question you've never even thought about before. But if you pray earnestly and with feeling, does it affect how quickly your prayers are answered? Good question, isn't it? Let me give you an example. It's very easy to look back at the early church and see the phenomenal growth of that church. Thousands upon thousands of people coming to faith in Christ in a very short space of time. The manifest power of the Spirit of God. Life surely was easy for them. However, the persecution that they faced was equally as challenging and intense as any blessing that they received. So, but even apart from all of that, nobody expected Peter to be arrested or to be brought into before public trial, which almost certainly was going to end up with a death sentence for him. They, they thought Peter, of course, was part of their family. So when this happened, they were absolutely devastated. They were gutted that he'd been arrested. They couldn't believe that Peter was now on Herod's hit list and had been arrested. So in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5 we read, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And that night he was chained up between two soldiers, one on either side of him. Peter, quite surprisingly, was sleeping. He was seemed quite chilled about the whole, whole event. Herod, on the other hand, was taking no chances, so they'd put guards on the doors, keeping their eyes over the place. And suddenly, an angel appeared in the room. The room was filled with light. And the angel said to Peter, hurry, get dressed, put on your shoes, grab a coat, we're out of here. Peter followed him, but he didn't believe that actually this really was an angel. He thought he was dreaming. So he walked past, or Peter walked past the guards through the iron gates and into the city, and the gates swung open all on their own and they were out in the street and free. And the angel left Peter as quickly 
as he had appeared. It was only now that Peter realized that he wasn't dreaming. He couldn't believe it. Jesus had sent an angel and had rescued him from Herod's vicious little plot. And still shaking his head in amazement, he went to Mary's house and he that was just packed with friends, people in the church. They're all praying. They're, they're fervently asking God for Peter to be rescued from prison. He knocks on the door and a young woman called Rhoda answers the door to see who it was. And when she recognizes Peter's voice, she's so excited and so eager that she tells everybody and forgets to open the door, leaves Peter standing out in the street. But she goes to them, but they don't believe it's Peter. Even though that's exactly what they've been praying for, the Lord set him free, and they don't believe it's him, so... They tell her, you're crazy, it cannot be Peter. She insists, and they just don't believe her. They say, it must be an angel. And all this time, poor Peter, standing in the street, still knocking away at the door. Finally, they open the door, and they saw him, and they go wild. <laughs> They're so excited. And Peter puts his hands and calms them down and tells them his amazing story. Now, it is truly an incredible story, is it not? And Peter's arrest certainly got the church's attention. In fact, it made them pray earnestly and without ceasing. So they offered up these deep, fervent prayers for Peter in order to spare him from martyrdom. But they had very little faith. It's fair to say. So the question, did the intensity of their prayers make a difference? Well, it must have done. It certainly wasn't their faith. Their faith really was not strong at all. In fact, I want to suggest to you that their passionate prayers made up for their lack of faith. Or at the very least, it is fair to say that they had more feeling in their praying than they had faith. And God responded to their earnest, fervent prayers more than he responded to their faith. Now it's so important, that's what I'm not saying, it's so important that we don't underestimate the importance of faith when we pray. So if you have faith imparted by the Holy Spirit when you pray, your prayers will be answered. That's what the Bible says. But in the case when they're praying for Peter, when they're very little faith, it'd be wrong to say they had no faith. But even with very little faith and with fervent prayer, God steps in. So even when your faith is minimal, God in his mercy hears and he answers your anxious, your fervent, your heartfelt cries. He sees your emotional responses. You don't need great faith for God to step in. You need a degree of faith in a great God. You need to focus on God not your faith. And the reason why we struggle with our faith is because none of us have the Holy Spirit without limit within our lives. Only Jesus could live, or only Jesus did live like this. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit as he lived his life. He felt both perfect compassion, but also had perfect faith. Example, perhaps, of Jesus' faith is found in Mark chapter 11. You see, if Jesus was to say to a mountain, throw yourself into the sea, guess what? That mountain would end up in the sea. When God says, let there be light, guess what? There's light. 
And there's no doubt in God's mind when he speaks, it will happen. Perfect faith. And this happened to Jesus every day. He didn't waver, he didn't doubt, he didn't agonize over things, whether they would happen or not. He prayed for the sick and he knew that they would be healed. The reason Jesus had perfect faith. He did everything according to the will of the Father. Now it needs to be said that none of us match up to Jesus. Jesus' faith was the very faith of God. So for you and for I, those moments of great faith just don't come every single day. So God is not looking for perfect faith, but he's looking for your earnest, for your persistence in prayer and not to give up. This should encourage you to keep asking and to keep praying to a God who is full of compassion and who will answer your fervent prayers. But with that being said, we should be aiming to pray with great eagerness and with great faith. But although this is the very best way to pray, we fall short of both compassion and also faith time and time again. Yet it's because of God's mercy and God's compassion that he answers your prayers despite our shortcomings of both faith and compassion. And again, he's not looking for strong faith. He's looking for a people who will trust in a strong God who are desperately dependent on him. So how desperate Are you for God to answer your prayers? How desperate are you for him to see breakthrough in lives and changes in circumstances and situations? I would say to you this morning, don't be afraid of your emotions. This is from a man who is not often very emotional. But don't be afraid of your emotions. Be willing to cry out to God even with tears, dripping down your cheeks, cry out in desperation to God, like King Hezekiah, who heard that he was going to die. He pleads before the Lord. It says with, he wept bitterly before God, and God stepped in. In fact, God's response in Second Kings 20, verse 5, is this, I have heard your prayers, and I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. And your genuine tears will get God's attention. Robert Murray McShane, who sought true revival in his church, but died at the age of just 29 years old, said that about six months after his death, a young minister came to visit the church and he spoke to one of the elders and asked what a person would have to do to have McShane's success. Oh, I can tell you, the wise elder replied, come with me. Sit here at McShane's desk and put your elbows on the desk and put your face in your hands and let the tears flow. Now come with me, he took him up to the pulpit. Put your elbows on the pulpit, put your face in your hands and let the tears flow. I'm not talking about phony tears or some people can work up their emotions, but when tears flow in desperation and distraught hearts, they touch God. A broken and a contrite heart moves the heart of God. And it's possible that if you pray with compassion and feeling, listen, it can make up for your lack of faith. And there are many times that I pray to God, I long for him to move in a situation and circumstances. And honestly, my faith is weak, too weak. 
And I long for it to be greater, to have more faith. But rather than feeling guilty, I pray, I believe, Lord. Now help my unbelief. And God will not rebuke such an honest prayer. Instead, he encourages us with what is possible. With even a small amount of faith when you pray with feeling and with fervency. See, faith and feeling and fervency, however, only come through a deep dependency on the Holy Spirit. Even for that, we need God. We need God. We've mentioned the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer already and I, in past weeks, but I want to spend just the rest of, to time, of today just, just talking on one of the aspects that we haven't really touched on properly yet. And that is what it means to pray in the Spirit. But first of all, you need to be filled with the Spirit. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, If your doctrine of the Holy Spirit does not include the idea of the Holy Spirit falling upon people, it is seriously, grievously defective. He goes on, Surely one of the prime explanations of the present state of the Christian church. And the Holy Spirit is for everyone. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, you can, you're fully qualified to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could never come to faith in Christ without the Spirit of God anyway. And I want to just talk a little bit about what it means to know the fullness, the baptism, whatever, whatever word you want to use for it. I don't really mind. I know there's difference of opinions of what we, listen, we need the Spirit of God in our lives. I think we can agree on that. God will and does pour out his spirit freely on all who ask. And when you receive the spirit, it's not just a vague awareness of his presence. When the spirit falls, fell on the early church, there was a dramatic change that everybody noticed. You didn't turn up on the day of Pentecost and walk on by. God was doing something very dramatic. The spirit of God was very obvious. And God does not always work by a spirit in that way, but there's an impact when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person's life. I want to mention four things. First is this. You receive the love of God. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, there's always an impartation of God's love into your life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit always points you towards Jesus. If you want to know if the Spirit isn't working, Jesus is glorified. People are looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He is honored in the working of the Holy Spirit. And he assures you of his great love for you. Bill Johnson puts it like this. The degree to which you perceive the face and love of God corresponds directly to the degree of our yieldedness to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The second impact the Holy Spirit has is that there will be a response when the Holy Spirit comes that will change not just your emotions, but will change your heart. When the Holy Spirit comes on upon a life, there's often 
a reaction, an emotional reaction sometimes. But, but sometimes, some people, they just are very still, they're very quiet in God's presence. God's peace just rests upon them. Others cry and laugh and, and sing and even shout. For, for others, there's a physical reaction where their bodies shake or even fall down in the presence of God. But there's always a deep sense of joy as you marvel at your salvation. Again, the spirit points us towards Christ, points us towards Jesus Christ. The third impact is power. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the world. And the power is for the proclamation of Jesus, again, pointing towards Jesus Christ to do the work of God. The fourth impact is that you will receive gifts and you will grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Just a little note. There's one big difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. See, the fruits prove your spirituality. Gifts don't. They are given and you receive them. In fact, the way that you can make sure that you're walking by the Spirit is to make sure that you are living in the, with the fruits of the Spirit within your life. It's not through exercising gifts, but by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's very possible to be moving in the gifts of the Spirit and actually be living an unacceptable life before God. You need to manifest both the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in equal measure and importance within your life. In, in, in charismatic circles, we get very hung up on gifts. And, that, and, and listen, they are so important. But we must not neglect the fruit of the Spirit within our life. As we walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. One of the key gifts that is valuable in prayer is the gift of tongues. It's the only gift of the, of the Spirit that requires you to, to humble yourself. In fact, it challenges pride within our lives by praying in tongues. But praying in tongues is not a marker of your walk with God. So what is it? First Corinthians 13 verse 1. It is described as a human angelic language. First Corinthians 14 verse 2. It's described as a prayer language. For everyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. It builds up individuals. It transcends language barriers. When you don't have the words, you can pray in the Spirit to express deep cries of your heart. It is very helpful in praise and worship and praying for yourself and for others. And, and praying in the Spirit is praying in the will of God. And there is no higher way of praying. Praying in the Spirit guarantees that you are praying according to God's will. Again, little note, you cannot improve on his plan for your life. He really does know best. First John chapter 5, 14, it says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But there's a really big if here for most of us, if not all of us. How can we be sure that we are praying according to the will of God? Yet that is exactly what we are commanded to do. So in order for us to be heard by God, we must pray in his will. In other words, we need to be praying in the spirit. But to do this effectively, we need to be sure that we are not grieving the Holy Spirit. We dealt with this a few weeks back in more detail, but it means to be praying without bitterness and on repentance. 
in our lives. It means to manifest the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the fruits of the Spirit will flow to the degree to which you do not grieve the Holy Spirit by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Learning to totally forgive is so important. So important. This is critical, and I think if you're struggling to be, know the fullness of God's Spirit within your life, I think it's worth looking and asking the question, Lord, is there anybody I need to be forgiving? There's nothing holds back God moving by His Spirit within your life than unforgiveness. You cannot pray in the Spirit if you refuse to forgive or you hold grudges against someone. I want to suggest... Two ways in which you can pray in the Spirit. The first is this. To pray with amazing understanding. See, there are times when you pray and you know that as you intercede, you feel the enabling of the Holy Spirit. This is a conscious understanding given by the Spirit to pray specifically into a situation. You do this when you pray God's revealed will. So the best example of this is to pray Scripture. We've mentioned this already a few weeks back, but praying scripture, praying the word of God means as you pray out God's word, you can be praying according to God's will. But even that doesn't happen every single time, because even the apostle Paul in Romans 8 claimed that he does not always know how to pray or even what to pray. But at certain times and situations, the Holy Spirit gives you an amazing understanding so that you will know that you are consciously praying in the Spirit. But there's a second way you pray in the Spirit as well, and that is to pray with very little understanding. And there are times when you may be burdened over, <coughs> excuse me, when you may be burdened over a situation and you may know and you, may, you just don't know what to pray, but that burden may be so great that you cannot utter even an intelligent word. Instead, you groan and you cry out to God with no idea what you're really saying. So Romans 8, 26, 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the secret will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes secretly on your behalf, and, and there may be a limited understanding of what you're praying. In fact, quite possibly, and maybe even more likely, there is no understanding. Either way round, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf according to what His will is for you. Remember, God only wants your best and you should be content to know that you are in good hands. In fact, you're in the best hands. The truth is that you actually have got, and this is incredible, you've actually got two persons of the Godhead interceding for you all of the time. First of all, Jesus Christ. Our great high priest is praying for you. He is the right hand of God and heaven and he is interceding for those who come to God by him. Hebrews 7, 25. And he's doing that right now. 
this very moment for those situations in your life, those challenges perhaps at work or in your family. God, or Jesus is praying right now for that moment, for that situation. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. He indwells you, but he's also praying for you. And the intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit and Jesus are offered to the Father with perfect faith with perfect compassion and with a perfect alignment with the will of God. In other words, Jesus and the Holy Spirit never pray out of the will of God. They always pray in the will of God for you. And that is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. That is why we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Gentle word of advice. Never ever, ever try to upstage God's will. You would be a complete fool to think that you know better than God's will for your life. Jesus said, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. So the best way to live is when you live by the Spirit, when you walk in step with the Spirit, when you worship by the Spirit. Everything that you do is done through the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And critically, this, of course, includes the way in which you pray. It should therefore be no surprise to discover that you are commanded to pray in the Spirit. But this is even more critical when it comes to spiritual warfare but actually, you know, every time that you pray, every time you get down on your knees before God, maybe interceding for a situation or lifting somebody up, you are, this is warfare. You are battling against the enemy, against the forces of darkness. Prayer is, is warfare. Ephesians 6 reminds us, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. Just a few verses later it says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Praying in the Spirit will effectively defeat the work of Satan. But the most common way of praying the secret will of God is to pray in tongues. However, it's possible to pray without tongues through sighs and through groaning of your spirit but if you've received the gift of tongues you have a huge advantage over those who don't when it comes to praying in the spirit because you can be sure that you're praying according to the will of God and in particular the secret will of God but this is humbling because it means you're completely submitting to him you're taking your hands off the controls you're letting God be God you can't dictate to God what you want and it's great to pray in tongues for situations and for individuals, but you must bear in mind that the Spirit will only intercede according to God's will for your life, not your own. So if you've got an agenda, if you've got a plan that you think God should do for you, you should be praying in tongues. But then why, oh why, would you want not to pray according to the will of God. When you pray in this way, you do not change God's mind. Instead, 
You are changed, you're edified, you're built up, you're made stronger, you receive more grace to resist the enemy. And, and, and the thing is, you have got no idea what you're saying, but the devil doesn't know either. In fact, it's the only time when you're praying that, that Satan has got no idea what you're saying. God knows. God knows. And whether it be tongues or a deep sighing and groaning of your heart, you can be content and confident that your praying is perfect. So I would say, seek the gift. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we receive this gift? Well, First Corinthians 14 verse 2 tells us, earnestly desire to ask God, believe, and, and sometimes you need to persevere in asking, but Jesus assures you, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And God hears your earnest, your fervent prayers. And so as you pray in the Spirit, the secret and the revealed will of God, you can call out with confidence before God, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, who answers prayer. So let's be practical. I want to encourage you in your quiet times, in your devotional times with God, Tomorrow morning to set aside some time to pray in tongues if God's given you that gift. If he hasn't, why not ask him? But if you've got the gift of tongues, pray in tongues. Why not five minutes? I would recommend you put your watch on because it's really, really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Sometimes you think, I've, I've done really... You look and it's... I'm, 30 seconds has gone by. <laughs> but there's something of a breakthrough that comes as you use God's gift in your prayer life. I want to finish with a story. One of my favorite stories about a man of God called Wigglesworth. He's a man, by the way, who saw mighty miracles of God through his ministry, but a man who lived with such an intimacy with God that is humbling, but also makes me hungry for more of the Spirit. And I hope it does for you. A chap called Mr. Roberts writes that there were 11 leading Christians in prayer with Wigglesworth on a special afternoon prayer meeting. Each of them had prayed, then Wigglesworth began to pray, and as he continued, slowly, one after the other, had to leave the room. The power of God filled the room, and they could not remain in such an atmosphere so supercharged with the Spirit of God. When Roberts heard of this story, he decided that if he ever got the opportunity to pray with Wigglesworth, that he, for one, would certainly never leave the room. And, and so during a time in New Zealand, he got his opportunity, but also his challenge. A number of people began to pray in their prayer meeting, and then the old saint began to lift up his voice, and strange as it may sound, people began to leave. A divine influence began to fill the place, the room became holy, and the power of God began to feel like a heavy weight and determined not to leave. He was the only person remaining except for Wigglesworth. And he hung on and he hung on until the presence became so great that he could not stay there any longer. He described it like this. 
with the floodgates of my soul pouring out a stream of tears and uncontrollable sobbing, I had to get out or die. And a man who knew God, as few people do, was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere that few people could breathe in. And this ordinary, holy spirit plumber travelled the world. And the glory of God fell wherever he prayed or preached. Blind eyes were opened, deaf ears were, could hear, cancers were cured, wheelchair bound, we could walk again, people were even raised from the dead. But here's the thing. You need to know that you are equally as qualified to receive more of God's spirit and to have a greater hunger and a passion for God. But do you want it, church? Do we want to live filled with the spirit? I want more of God's spirit in my life. Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. Listen, if our hearts truly lost the complacency, the truth is we're comfortable. Really? If we're honest with it, we are really comfortable. We've got content with apathy, with, with status quo. We've got pretty good lives. Thank you very much, Lord. And we're not living... I'm not living in the fullness of God's spirit. I'm not. And it's not, maybe, well actually we'll say it, either are you. Because we will look different. And this church will look different. Maybe a little bit more messy at times. But tell you what, it'll be a lot fuller. Because people are drawn to the spirit of God. I've been praying, seeking God for as a church and as we move forward in the things of God. And, you know, we could strategize and we could do that. And I'm not knocking any of that stuff. But I just want more of him. For our church, for me individually, but for, for our church, I want more of the spirit of God. I don't have a plan B. Sorry. That's it. And I want to pray that together we catch a vision of what, of everything that God is for us. And listen, we are going to catch this on our knees before God. That's why I've been banging on about prayer. It's going to change us. Radically change us. But listen, it's not easy. If it was easy, our churches in the UK would look radically different than they do today. Honestly, there is nothing more difficult than seeking the face of God. It's, there's a waiting on God that is that's painful at times. It's difficult. But I believe he's worth it. So Father, I want to pray. Father, I want to pray to your work in our lives today. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you, Lord Jesus.
Lord, we, we need the Spirit of the living God, Lord, to fall on us individually and corporately, Lord. As Evan Roberts used to say, I will have the Spirit. There's a boldness in coming before God in claiming what He has promised to us already. But there's a pressing in, there's a perseverance, there's an earnestness and a crying out before God. I believe there'll be a lot more tears in our church before we see the fullness of the Spirit come. Because hearts need to be softened and broken in the presence of the King. Agendas need to go. It's got to be about Him and Him alone. So Lord, I want to say, let's, let's stand together. If you feel comfortable just raising your hands, we're going to just, I'm going to just ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Father, we stand here in your presence. And Lord, we just say our hearts are thirsty for you. We're hungry, Lord, for more of you. And Lord, we, Lord we're just tired of going through the motions of church sometimes. Lord, we love your church and we, Lord, we love the people here, Lord, and we love to come together. But Lord, we don't want to do this, Lord, without you, without your spirit, Lord. And then thank you, Lord, for what you've given. Thank you, Lord. There's a, Lord, you, you, you have filled us, Lord, with your spirit. Lord, we're not saying that we are empty, completely empty. But Lord, we know that there is so much more for each one of us. And we want the more. We want the filling. We want the complete filling. We want to walk in a greater fullness of your spirit, Lord. Not just for what we do on a Sunday, Lord, but for what we do in the streets. As we've sung the songs, Lord God, for, for the glory of God to fall. Lord, as we go to the coffee shop, as we go to the shops, Father, we want to pray for those divine appointments, but also for the Holy Spirit to be speaking directly into our lives. And we, we just know that, God, you're, you're, you're directing your spirit, Lord God, is leading us. Father, each step that we take, we, we want to walk in step with you, to live our lives filled with you. Father, we want the fullness of your spirit. And Lord, so we're asking, you told us, Lord, if you lack wisdom, if you lack anything, Lord, we ask. So Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to come and fill us this morning. Change us, Lord. Lord, waking us up in the mornings. Lord, waking us up at night to pray. Lord, put a hunger and a thirst in our hearts that is supernatural. Lord, that would, Lord, would, would take us to our knees in humble prayer, Lord God, that we may see, Lord, our church change, Lord God, that we may see, Lord God, our, our, our city change, Father, that we may see you come, Lord, in mighty power. Father, Lord God, that you would come and you'd pour out your spirit in this day for your glory and for your honour. God, we cry to you, God of mercy. Father, we pray for the churches of Chester. And Father, we ask, Spirit of the living God, that you would fall. Fall upon us and fill us. Jesus' name. Jesus' precious name.
Jesus' name, amen.